TRP is a theologically progressive Baptist church in Salisbury, Maryland. This is our podcast. We're back in the booth, back, back in, in the, the booth. booth. Hi. Hi, We're <laughs> back in the booth in Jude's room. We were talking earlier about how it's hard to start podcasts. That's what we do, though. That's right? part of what we do. I mean, yeah, because for, for the behind the scenes, Tessa and I have tried and failed to start this podcast. This is literally, I think, the eighth time that we've gone. And we've just sort of been sitting here shooting the old BS, as mm-hmm. they say, talking I think about... we should start this off with a March Madness update. Or does do, that do, hurt your feelings? Do, 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 do. I'm trying to think of what the... Do, 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 do. Nope, that's Charlie Brown. <laughs> what is this? <laughs> do, 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 Boom, boom, do, 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 do. Dun, 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 dun. No, I don't remember the March Madness one, though. I don't either. That's I fine. I don't think I've ever what, known it. What Tessa is referring to for everyone who's not one of the eight people involved mm-hmm. in the TRP. <laughs> You're missing a Bracket good time. challenge. You're always yeah. missing a good time because there's so many random names. You're like, oh, who's who's winner, winner, chicken dinner? Or who's Louise Bourges? I know that's you, but like, what what is <laughs> Louise it? Louise Bourgeois fence. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Her, she's an artist. Her name is Louise Bourgeois. Yes, and if you don't know how to pronounce her name, it makes zero sense. Like you just read the word. But what you've done is cleverly attach a bourgeois fence. Yes, yes, I would not have known that, but I did know it was you because a few years ago, when you won, you were Thelonious Dunk, which is a great bracket name. Yeah. All right, so what Tessa's trying to do is to say, mm, Josh, you're not good because Susie's beating you now. Well, I think that I can say it because I'm second to last in the brackets. All right, well, go ahead. Well, so Susie's first, winner, winner, chicken dinner. You know what, though? Let's let's go ahead and say this. Week one is fun and all, but it, it really just matters who... It's still week one. Well, last week was oh, I see. week okay. one, yeah. and the games start. Uh, for us, it'll be tomorrow. That's Thursday. But really, it's just if your champion wins, you will probably win. So week one is like for the bragging rights because you picked the most games correct. So Susie, hats off to her. She's got a nice looking bracket, but she's got Arizona winning it all. They win it overtime to get in the Sweet 16. They might not even make it out of this next round. So if Gonzaga wins. I'll win. Yeah. And if Arizona wins, right? I don't even have a chance anymore. Or, or if, Gon- or if Gonzaga loses soon, like done. So if your champion loses soon, because it's like weighted, first round games are worth, I don't know, say ten points. Second round games are worth twenty five, thir- mm-hmm. and then it just keeps going. So you're, fi- if you get your final four, and your champion right, you can cruise. So who's your there's champion? There's no way Gonzaga. So there's no way you can beat me. Uh huh. But you would beat everybody else that's uh, not a Gonzaga okay. person. My maximum points right now is 1240. Yours is 1350. Yep. So, well, I guess I shouldn't say that there's no way you can beat me because it depends on our final four. Here we are again, Tessa. Uh, we're talking about <laughs> random stuff that nobody cares about. Well, I just wanted to give a recap on our March Madness. It's at least TRP related. Are you going to delete it and start it all over again? <laughs> no. And you can hear how she's saying that because I have started it. And I have no control. And I've stopped it, deleted it, and started it over eight times. Because we've we just been going off. I've been going off about Oscar gonna, Isaac and warm up the Jake mics. Johnson, just warming up the mics. You know, we've been talking a little bit about, we talked about country music for a long we time. did. That was unexpected. I was going through all my Spotify. I, I, I like, I like poppy country. I don't like 
low voice. You like barely country. Jake Owens or that who's that guy you were talking about? Um, Josh Turner. Josh Turner, Scotty hey, McCreary. Like, no, thank you, sir. I do not want to hear that. Now, if if that person was the base of a four-part Southern Gospel Harmony band, yes, absolutely. Well, that's not what he's Those saying. guys are the best because they like take that microphone and they, they start it out really far from their body and then they bring it up to their face and the whole room will like shake because their voice is so low. It's pretty cool. I'll never have a voice that low. No, me neither. What? What am, am I? An alto? I don't know. Soprano? I have no idea. I think you. No, you're not a soprano. You sure? I don't think. That's, <laughs> yeah, but you couldn't sing like that for a sustained amount of time. Please don't delete it. You don't know that. I'm just moving my notes around, okay, dude. I just don't trust you anymore. Well, here we are. What are we talking about this week? Yep, we're talking about Job. Ooh, I've also Jude. been I've also been rewatching Arrested Development. Mm. Um, I sh- I should I should clarify when I say I also have that's from a previous deleted <laughs> episode where I was saying I was rewatching New Girl, yes. which spawned the entire Jake Johnson slash Oscar Isaac. A worthwhile conversation in w- my worthwhile. opinion. Worthwhile. Yeah. We really just need a spinoff podcast where it's like Josh and Tessa talk pop culture. Mm-hmm. Not, I wouldn't say pop culture. The things that we would I'd talk about would be unrelated, like niche. Yeah, <laughs> very niche. Uh, you know, culture. The, uh, thirty to forty-five year old. Yeah, entertainment. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. Speaking of which, if you're not watching Severance on Apple Plus, you are missing out. I'm not. I you are I'm missing, missing out. out. It's great. I uh, have um, to do that. Adam Scott from Parks and Rec. I love him. The concept is so cool. I, we may have talked about this last week on, on the pod, but like he works for this company where they've implanted a chip in his brain. So his upstairs world, like his real life world, doesn't know anything about the work that he does. So when he takes the elevator down, he like trances out and then his his brain flips over. So he's his work Whoa. self. So he has work relationships, but he only knows about them when he's in the building in the basement. And then at whatever o'clock when he leaves, he goes up and he trances out again. And then he remembers all the stuff from his life. It's it's a pretty That's cool wild. concept. Yeah, it's cool. It's It's been, uh, they release new episodes on every Friday. Is this just a show or was it a book also? Don't know. Seems like something that would be a book. I would love to know the percentage of series that are written specifically for tv Mm -hmm. versus stuff that's been adapted from books Mm -hmm. i'm thinking that the books percentage is going to be way higher you know writing like a a a series yeah i think so but i don't know that for sure all right so here we are uh we're talking about job we've talked about job for a couple weeks now we did a little uh little introduction on wisdom literature where Tessa walked us through some some Pete Enzian ideas. Mm. Giving a little hat Enzian. tip. A little hat tip to her other boss. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he would like that. Enzian. Mm-hmm. Um, Enzian theory. Yeah. Yes. Where we're talking about reading wisdom requires wisdom from the reader to interpret and also to apply. It's not this... You can just take it off the page and, and apply stuff literally, especially when you consider wisdom literature has a lot of conflicting pieces of quote-unquote timeless universal principles 
you know, the classic one, don't answer a fool according to their folly, lest you be like them or answer a fool according to their follies, lest they be wise in their own eyes or something like that. So you've got these two very conflicting pieces of information, and you have to, as the reader, discern which one to apply in any given moment. And then we've also talked about Job um, as a character in the book, the first five verses uh, sort of lay out some of his character traits. Tessa, you got any off the top of your head? Helicopter parent. Yes, because he was, um, you know, offering sacrifices for each of his kids when they would throw their their parties. It's it's unclear if the parties are. I think I sketched out that they're probably referring to birthday parties, which seems to be true. Some people, however, think that this was just like an ongoing week to week. These folks like to party. That sounds exhausting. Daddy, we like to party. Oh. Miley, throwback. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. 30 to 45. Yep. <laughs> Miley niche, throwbacks. Uh, entertainment reference. I heard that mm-hmm. in the car last night as we were driving home. Laddie daddy, we like to party. I like that song. She's got some good ones, actually. Yeah. The climb. She does. I feel inspired. Yeah. I just feel like I can do whatever I need to do. You can. Well, yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah, that's good. You can. And then uh, Party in the USA. Great A track. Classic. Great track. Instant classic. Okay, so helicopter parent, he's offering sacrifices for his kids who may have been celebrating birthdays or they may have just been partying on a week-to-week basis going from one brother's house to the next brother. Remember, seven brothers, three daughters, and the brothers seem to be the ones who are hosting the parties, which were raucous affairs. You You can set your watch to that. Yes. He seems a little bit paranoid. Offering these sacrifices and yeah, not yeah, really knowing. He offers them on behalf of what they may have done or may even be thinking. Right. It, it says, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Like just in case. Just in case they had any bad thoughts. Mm-hmm. Let me take a couple of these sheep yeah, and yeah. offer them up. So yeah, he, he's, a, he's sort of in a weird parental space Mm -hmm. but from the very beginning we also learned that he's blameless and upright he fears god he shuns evil this is like hyperbolic word pairs meant to say job is somebody of another level right another level yeah (laughs) i was tapping in there's this preacher back in the back in the day who used to do these videos where he says we're taking it to a whole nother level it wow. was bizarre and sounds, awful, and I shouldn't. I, I wish it wasn't even in my brain space, but well, there it is. There but the point, you know, is like it's it's hyperbolic language that Job is to be this, um, the epitome of a wise person, mm-hmm. especially when you compare those descriptions with a line from Proverbs that says, "Be wise, not in your own eyes. Fear Yahweh, shun evil." So it's taking some of these same ideas and applying them to. To Job. That's the point. Also worth noting, Carol Newsom, uh, formerly, I believe she retired, formerly of Emory University and Candler School of Theology, the Divinity School attached to Emory. Great programs. Side note, if anybody's looking to go to seminary. You know how Josh likes to try to send people to seminary. So many people. Yep. One of which has finished. Yeah. Yeah. Congrats, Brandon Vanderhoof. Nice. When did he? Although now he's 
and this is not a bust, of course, but like he he did the thing and then realized I don't think ministry is my my gig. And if that's what you know, if that's what you learn, God, you tried I, the thing. I wish I was Brandon's age and knew what I was supposed to be doing. You know what I mean? So that's three years of dedicated study to realize maybe this isn't my track in life. Mm-hmm. I mean, wouldn't you have done that from ages 23 to 26? And then you would know at the end of 26? Probably. That sounds pretty inviting now. Yeah. I was still I was still buried in... I went, I went to college, started college as a 17-year-old because mm-hmm. my mom was sick of me as a four-year-old and was like, you got to go to kindergarten, bro. So I went to kindergarten real early mm. and then went to Bible college straight into seminary. And actually, I graduated Bible college in May, started a summer intensive Hebrew program in June. Okay. I think this is just who you are. You like school and you like theology. Yes. But also some of it is just it's like this compulsion that I have. Also, you're an Enneagram 3, I think. I'd love to know. Well, how does that help? Mm. What's an Enneagram 3 have They're to do with achievers. it? The thing about Enneagram 3 is that it doesn't relate to me is the whole, like, they're politicians. They can win a crowd. They can, uh, they're chameleons. They can be whoever they need to be in whatever room. Thing? Yeah, in whatever mm. room they're in. They can adapt to the situation. Mm. That is not me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm. If I'm in a room where I don't feel comfortable, I am against the wall. Show me where the crab dip is, and that's where I will be. The fancy party you're going to. You know, try crab to, dip. I do what I do. Anyway, How did we get here? <laughs> Carol Newsom, yes. Emery, Brandon, Seminary. Yeah. My compulsions to, to learning. Mm-hmm. Carol Newsom says the character of Job is the pivot upon which the entire book turns. Okay, so setting this up in the first five verses is really important for our understanding of what's about to unfold. Just to spoil the story, and I've already done this, right? The Mm -hmm. first two chapters of Job is this narrative framework where God is interacting with the Satan. We'll talk Mm -hmm. about that in a bit. And saying, hey, look at Job. He's so good. And the Satan says, yeah, but he's, he's only in it because you give him all of the stuff. So the fact that Job is referred to as blameless and upright and fears God and shuns evil. That's important. And the question is, why is he that? Is he that because of what he's getting out of it? Or this is the the word that um, DJA Kleins, my man has three initials. DJA Kleins? DJA Kleins. Is that like DJ Khaled? No. <laughs> <laughs> he's the antithesis of oh, DJ okay, Colin. Uh, he's an old, old white British scholar who actually is... Who is, gave him so many names. Yeah, uh, his his parents, I suppose. Oh, I guess that's how that works. I would be lying if I said I didn't think about giving our kids multiple middle names. I'm 0% surprised by that. Solely because of the spine of the book. Yeah. You know? They're going to be... Like a friend offers. of mine. Listen to this. Like a friend of mine. His name is... J.R. Daniel Kirk. Yeah. That is just a really cool scholar name. What's the J and the R stand for? I think it's like family names. John Robinson. 
Daniel Kirk. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> All of those things. John Roger, Daniel Kirk. But he goes by Daniel. Jasper. Daniel, do not call me Dan. Do not call me Danny. <laughs> Daniel. Donnie Ale. Yeah, yes, <laughs> or that. So it's important that we know who Job is um, as a character because Kleins is wondering, is it possible for someone to be disinterested in the benefits they get from following Yahweh. That's that's the bet. That's the wager that's unfolding in the first couple chapters. The Satan says, I don't think so. Uh, I think this person is in it because of all of the stuff that you keep giving them, and God is wondering uh, if that's true. Okay, so that's that sets up the... Uh, the the foundation for the story as we know it, which is what we're talking about today. Okay, so the, the scene shifts from Earth, where Job is being described in this really lofty language. He's a high moral character. He's, he's the epitome of a sage or a wise person because of the ways in which he is living. And then the scene shifts from Earth to Heaven. It does this a few times in the intro. It keeps going back and forth between these scenes. But here we're in the heavenlies, and it says in verse 6, one day the heavenly beings, image, what's the image? Angels. Is that for real? If That's you, what I was supposed to say. I, 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 yeah, there, is, there is no supposed to. Like three weeks ago, four weeks ago, before yeah. we had spent any time here, what would your heavenly beings image be? I mean, it might have been angels. Okay, I've, I've definitely, Tessa's been in on these sermons, so she's heard uh, where they go. I think a lot of people... I don't know. The creatures with wings. Okay, yeah. Floaty, flyy, yeah. angel types. We're not probably thinking sons of God. No. Which is actually the literal Hebrew here. It says one day the sons of God, which raises bigger questions, interpretive questions. Who's that? Right. What are those people doing? I, I, I've been trying to sketch this out. A good way to think about these individuals is lesser divine beings, which I don't think means much to most people. They're like, they're God-type characters. They're just not up to the level of Yahweh. They're like the hyenas in The Lion King. Who are obeying Scar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Scar is Yahweh, <laughs> and the hyenas yeah. are the lesser divine beings. Mm-hmm. Sort of. Yeah, we'll, we'll sketch out some other um, images of what this might look like. But the point is, these beings, these sons of God, they come to present themselves before the Lord, and it says, in your English Bibles, it will say, and Satan also came among them. This is not Satan. Right. Yeah, I, we've talked about this, and I do not know why the English Bible translators keep translating it as Satan, capital S, proper name, because they know that it is not the same character that we know from the New Testament. You're like Jesus out in the wilderness, and Satan comes and tempts him. This is not that devil. Right. This is one of God's, think, employees, Mm -hmm. high-level employees 
who sits around the mahogany conference table as God takes God's place at the head of the table, setting up the PowerPoint presentation and getting the heads of departments to all do their check-ins. I feel like we talked about this in our last podcast. We probably did. As um, Santa and... Yeah, shout out, shout out to Johnny Menges. Also, shout out to Santa. <laughs> Santa Claus. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, so here what we have, we have this we have this divine council that's taking place in the heavens um and and God is overseeing that. A lot of scholars would say, "Oh, this is like a king holding court, taking counsel and rendering judgments about various matters, like talking to the heads of of departments like the people who who are like King Arthur and the Knights at the Round Table." Um, I like to think of it as Don Draper and Mad Men, mm-hmm. where the boss, whose name keeps escaping me, the main guy, sits at the end of the table and then Don Draper checks in. So Don Draper would be related to the Satan here, which I think Roger men- Sterling? There you go. Which many women would probably say, yeah, he's the devil in that show. Absolutely. Um, but we have this divine council where God is overseeing a meeting with lesser divine beings because at this point, the mindset of the ancient readers would have been multiple gods existed. Our God is better. Mm-hmm. This is a concept referred to as monolatry, where one God is worthy of worship over other gods. And that is to be contrasted with the idea of monotheism, which believes that only God, only one God exists. There are no other gods. Right. That's where we live for the most part. Also in contrast with monogamy. Yes. Which is something different entirely. Something completely different. Um, We see these images in other parts of the Bible, like in Psalm 82, it says God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, and the word there literally is gods, Elohim. Elohim can be a name for Yahweh, mm-hmm. like an alternate name, but it's a plural noun. So context will de- determine whether you're translating it as capital G God, Elohim. Elohim. Is a plural noun. Yeah, because that im ending, mm-hmm. that's the mark of a masculine plural in Hebrew. Hmm. So Elohim could also be legitimately translated as gods. Okay. So you have to discern, are they talking about Elohim, like capital E, capital G, or are they talking about gods, plural? And here they're clearly saying God has taken his place in the divine council in the midst of other gods. Capital G God is holding judgment. Mm-hmm. And then he goes on to, to sort of like chastise them. So this is an angry meeting where God has sent out the company-wide email saying, get into the conference room immediately. I've got to chew you out. So he says, how long will you judge unjustly? Talking to the lesser divine beings. How long are you going to show partiality to the wicked? Give justice to the weak and the orphans. Maintain the right of the lowly and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy and deliver them from the hand of the wicked. This... uh, Psalm goes on to say 
that basically God is going to judge the lesser gods with a death sentence, which some people think means this is the beginning of monotheism. Hmm. You follow? Mm -hmm. So God is like, I'm so frustrated with you, lesser gods, lesser divine beings, you're going to die. It's over. Mm. So God, in the thought world of the psalm, removes them, and then monotheism begins to take root. Interesting. That's wild, isn't it? Yeah. Monotheism is something that developed over time and was pretty late in the game. Most people would say 6th century BC, uh, again, like tied to the exile. The exile is really important, and we don't talk about it a lot. But again, like we, we just take all these ideas that we have now— mm-hmm. And we just throw them unilaterally across the entire Bible. Right. I'm sure we've talked about this too, but hell, mm-hmm. not a thing mm-hmm. in the Old Testament. Resurrection, not a thing in 99% of the Old Testament. There's one text in Daniel that's probably uh, talking about physical bodily resurrection. But Daniel's one of the latest books in the Old Testament, probably in the second century. Very different from darn near every other Old Testament text. And so we just take our ideas and we just throw them across thinking everybody thinks like we do, which is not true. Right. It's also weird. I'd love your thoughts on this. It's also weird to think about how we say things, and by we I mean American Christian churchy people. We say things like, uh, like we talked about a couple weeks ago, like the Bible is roadmap it's uh you know it's our source of direction it's it's the thing that we look to for guidance mm-hmm. and then we go on to say stuff like it's inerrant it's it's got no errors it's very clear it's perfect mm-hmm. but then you've got these texts where people are writing assuming that other gods exist right or that the the universe is structured like with three tiers, heaven, earth, the underworld, or that Sheol is a legitimate concept mm-hmm. where you die in the Old Testament world and then you go to this non-physical abode of the dead that lasts forever and everybody goes there, good, bad, and indifferent. And this is like the mindset that's in the text. And then we say, yeah, the Bible's it's great, it's perfect, excellent. Isn't that wild? Yes. Excellent. Good, good <laughs> tidbits. There's this scene in uh, Major League Two, uh-huh. um, the baseball movie with Bob Euchre, and he's in the booth talking, and he's got this guy next to him named Monty. Am I Monty? <laughs> in this instance, yes, because... He kicks it over to Monty at one point, and Monty says, yes. yes. Or or it was, maybe it was even like, fly ball out. And then he kicks it back and says, dynamite drop in, Monty. Those years of broadcasting school really paid off. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so there you go. Dynamite drop in, Tessa. Thank you. Those years of... Literally nothing. I don't know what, yeah. Yeah. We didn't train for this. No, we didn't. You have just willingly subjected yourself to sitting in this seat and hearing Correct. my theological ramblings and yes. then being put on the spot. 
and, and having huge not eyes, not knowing what's going to come. Yeah, but you 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 did have you did develop some some thinking around this that you were about ready to tell me before I had oh, the Monty. Oh, I did. Didn't you? Did I? I don't remember. I thought you were going to go there. This idea that the Bible, like we have all these lofty things to say about it, but we are so bad at seeing how embedded it is in specific cultural moments mm -hmm. that make sense at that time that that become outdated even within the Bible itself. It's so wild to me. Nobody preaches about Sheol. No. Nobody preaches about, um, you know, the fact that there's no hell in the Old Testament. And nobody preaches about the divine council as a legitimate concept, yet here it is. All right, you ready for this one? No. <laughs> this is a, this story is even worse oh, good. to talk about, like, the divine council stuff. Yeah. So in 1 Kings 22, there's um, this back and forth between Ahab, who's a king, who is looking for prophets to tell him what he wants to hear, right? And he knows that there's a prophet named Micaiah who will not tell him what he wants to hear. Micaiah always shows up with like this, the bad news for Ahab. So mm -hmm. Ahab's saying like, I need prophets who will tell me if we need to go to war and I want them subtext and I want them to tell me that we should go to war because I want to destroy this threatening army. Mm -hmm. Even if that's not what God is telling the prophet, he wants that. And he always knows that whatever he wants, Micaiah will say the opposite mm -hmm. of that. So this is this is the setup here for this particular instance, this interchange between Micaiah the prophet and Ahab. Um, and the back and forth is, you know, Micaiah shows up and the king says to him, shall we go to Ramoth-Gilead to battle or should we refrain? And Micaiah says, go up, go for it. Lord will give it into the hands of the king. All good here. But the king knows something's up. So he says, how many times must I make you swear to tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? And then Micaiah says, I saw all of Israel scattered on the mountain like sheep who have no shepherd. And the Lord said, these have no master. Let each one go home in peace. So he, he shows up and says like, yep, go for it. You'll be good. Mm -hmm. And Ahab's like, come on, man, tell me the truth. He's like, okay, you're all going to die. And the king uh, of Israel, uh, who's Ahab says to another king, didn't I tell you that this is what's going to happen? He always says the bad stuff to me. He only says that disaster is going to take place. Mm -hmm. Tells me the stuff that I don't want to hear. And then Micaiah goes into this vision that he has. And this is troubling. Okay. He says, all right, fine. Hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne with all the host of heaven standing beside him. Again, not angels. Divine counsel. Right. I saw the Lord and all of the lesser divine beings flanking the Lord on either side, to the right and to the left. And then the Lord says this to his envoy. He says, who's going to entice Ahab so that he might go up 
and die at Ramoth Gilead. Ooh. Spicy, right? Mm-hmm. It gets worse. Oh, good. And then one of them, you know, kicked around an idea and another said something else. And then a spirit, but here, don't think spirit. Think a lesser divine being. Okay. Part of the crew around the mahogany table. The ghost of Christmas past. The ghost of Christmas past says, I'll do it. I'll go be that that thing that will entice Ahab. Mm-hmm. And God says, how are you going to do it? Tell me, what's the plan? And the lesser divine being says, I was thinking I would go and I would be a lying spirit in the mouth of all of his prophets. Ooh. Like I would get his prophets to say the wrong thing yeah. to get him to do and to go and yeah. he would die. And then God says in the story, yeah. I don't like that. You, you are to entice him and you'll succeed. Go do that. So you see, this is back to Micaiah. So you see, Ahab, the Lord has put a lying spirit in all of these prophets and he has decreed disaster for you. Thoughts, feelings, reactions, why is emotions. Why now telling him, why is he telling the him The truth? That? Yeah. Well, I mean, because I think Ahab pushed him a little bit, and now he's like, all right, fine, I'll tell you. I think the real question for me is, why did he tell him not the truth to begin with? You know, I'm not sure why he showed up and was like, oh, yes, go to Ramoth Gilead. You'll be fine. Isn't he one of the lying spirits or Micaiah's not. Oh. Well, I, I never thought about that. I don't think so, because he goes on to say, here's the vision. This is what I got. He's a prophet, right? Yeah. So wouldn't he be... Wouldn't the lying spirit be in him? Yeah, but too? then wouldn't you think that the lying spirit would stick around with these people long enough? Where I, I, I would, <laughs> I've always thought that the prophets wouldn't know that they were actually being used as an agent to lie to the person to get the person to do right the the wrong thing, which is actually the right thing for God to accomplish God's purposes, which is for this person to die. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So like that, ugh, because we've got. 21st century, pacifist, loving, Western, modern, or postmodern ideas about who God is and mm-hmm. how the world should work. And that's not what's reflected in the text. No. So here we've got a divine council, God holding court, calling all his people saying, who's going to go Who's gonna go get this guy to die for me? And then one of them's like, I can do it. How are you going to do that? Well, I'll just make everybody lie to him. That sounds awesome. Go do that. Ugh. (laughs) I don't like it, and I'm not sure what to do with it. Why? But, I mean, do you not like it because you think that that's a real thing that actually happened? Or because that version of God is so distinct from the version that we have in our heads? That one. So this, this whole thing, like, even with Job, this is a story. This is an ancient story, in fact, that is meant to teach people things. So in Job, we've got this depiction of God that defies all of our categories. He doesn't know, as we'll talk about here in a bit, he seems to be a little insecure. Um, He's not sure if Job is actually legit. That's why he wants the Satan to go check things out. He agrees very quickly to that plan. Like... So this story is not to teach us something about God. Oh, see, mm, 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 mm. it is. 
But what is that? Yes, yes. Then? Okay, so I would say the story is meant to teach. <clears throat> I don't want to draw a hard line here, but what it teaches its original audience will utilize metaphor and imagery and word pictures and concepts that make sense to them. Right. They just don't make sense to us anymore. Okay. Like if you went into most churches, and this is a, this is what I love about TRP, we are wild. Uh-huh. And I can get up there and say, hey guys, check out this thing about like the divine council. And they're mm-hmm. like, oh, cool. Yeah. If I took that into other places, I think they would lose their gourds. Probably. You know, they, I don't think they would have, I don't think they'd quite know how to handle that. Okay, well, if this is in the text, what do we do with that? Because we've been taught to respect the text. And in their mind, that means and apply it and think that it's literal or historical and whatever else. We've been taught um, on the other side of that coin to respect the text and let it be ancient. You know, let it be what what it is. So we're uncomfortable when the ancients are referring to God in ways that make sense to them. They just don't make sense to us. And in order for us to understand it, and this is really frustrating. I love, I'd love your take on this, Tessa. <laughs> I, I, the image I used uh, a bit ago was we have to. Actually, that was in a different class. Um, it's like we have to tell the joke, explain why the joke is funny, and then hope people giggle with us when they get it. But we can't just tell the joke. Because then people would have no freaking clue what's going on. Well, and they come to conclusions that are not really what's intended. Yeah, uh, that's fair. So this 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 story here for for the ancient audience, they wouldn't have cared. This is what God does. God has divine beings that are working in concert with God. God Mm -hmm. is overseeing them. In, in charge of them and sending them out to do different tasks. Also, yeah. so like in Job, the Satan is not, according to some people, and I think this is really compelling, is not an adversary to God. Right. He's an adversary for God. Yes. Yes. Isn't that wild? Yeah. So like that, that, entity that mm-hmm. divine being is working with god to accomplish certain things in the world namely um according to some folks this character is is trying to defend god's honor by exposing those who pose a threat to it mm-hmm. this isn't satan the devil the evil one uh showing up to where he's not wanted and saying oh job this is say, the Satan showing up to a board meeting where mm-hmm. he's got an email invite mm-hmm. and it's synced to his calendar on his iPhone uh-huh. and he shows up and he's like, I need to defend you here because God, you seem to be pretty doe-eyed about Job mm-hmm. and I think Job's a butt. Mm-hmm. Let's root it out. Let's see who's right. Yeah. Tessa's brain is exploding just, all in front of my all in front of my face right now. I still have not. I mean, I know we're only at the beginning of the story still but the takeaway of this is 
hard. You say we're at the beginning as if once we get to week four, five, or six, it's like, oh, then it'll make sense. I got news for you. It will not. I don't think I can button this one up. Hmm. It's going to be it's going to be tough sledding. The best I can say is this is a wisdom story mm-hmm. and allow yourself to be to be goaded by these really ancient ways of thinking to figure out what it looks like to live in suffering and which is what most people think the book is about and what the image of God is that we get from this. And I I, I do have a conclusion for this particular okay section uh-huh. okay so first things first job one divine counsel god at the head of the mahogany table slideshow ready to go mm-hmm. and he's moving around the table to check in with his heads of department right the satan is one of those okay now i've said this a hundred times already it's not satan it's not a proper name. It's the Satan. In Hebrew, it's Ha-Satan. And Ha, when you attach it to a noun, is the definite article. The Satan. Mm-hmm. Satan means something like accuser, adversary. You can think prosecuting attorney. This is a characterization of this uh, literary figure, right? It's not the name. It'd be like me calling you the graphic designer mm-hmm. or, you know, whatever the the Enneagram 4. <laughs> yeah. I was having a meeting and the Enneagram 4 came into oh the meeting <laughs> and said to me, you know, like he said to me. <laughs> my dad, he said to me. Tess and I have this, have this <laughs> very inside joke about a stand-up comic who I think is hilarious (laughs) that no one else in the world thinks is that funny. And one of his jokes is just him saying, my dad, my dad, he said to me, he said to me, my dad, he said to me, my dad. He just keeps going on Uh and on and finally gets to... My dad is making magic wands. My dad is making magic wands. It's very funny. It is really funny. Okay. So (laughs) um, in your mind, Tessa, does this, does this, continual uh, teaching from me it's not satan it's the adversary accuser prosecuting attorney it's a characterization of another divine being does that change stuff flashback to two months ago i don't know how familiar you were with the story of job anyway it doesn't get a lot of play in most churches it gets abused by a lot of churches i think Mm -hmm. and used for simplistic um purposes but we don't talk about the book a lot so i don't know what sort of baggage you brought with you into this space um but like does that does that change anything for you or not really i think it does in some ways it almost feels like it makes it more complicated how so because this guy is not the devil he's an adversary who's working with god yeah now i I, let me go on record and say some some scholars good ones Mm -hmm. like carol newsom legit great scholar depend on her for a lot of the series she still sees like they're well they're still sort of at each other's throats right so so maybe in this model it would be god is at the head of the table and one of his heads of departments is difficult to work with Mm -hmm. right yeah and others would say it's actually less controversial than that this person really cares about defending god's honor 
right? So there, there is some tension there as to what the, the roles and responsibilities and the relationships are between these two figures. But still, in any way that we shake that out, and Newsom would agree with this, I think. I can't speak for her, but I... The Satan is part of this council yeah, and is working under God's leadership, right? So in that sense, we I think when we read this story, it's like, ooh, the devil has snuck out of hell and has caught a bus ride up to heaven. Right. Like he's in a place he doesn't belong. That's not this, that's not in this story, right? Right. And that's sort of the brain meld. I think in some ways, though, that story is more simple than one day the devil broke out of hell and went up to heaven <laughs> yeah i well, i i, I like was just trying to, i'm trying to like, track with you i wasn't trying to yes yeah yeah like where the devil's like let me mess with job and god is like okay yeah even, that, i mean who are we kidding even when you get to that part and god's like okay that turns the story into an like what who is what why why For what is this Right. So for me, it's like it makes all it makes the things make more sense to know that the Satan is actually trying to push on Job to make sure that Job's commitments are actually legitimate. Yeah. Whereas we usually come into it thinking the Satan is pushing on Job because the Satan wants to see Job suffer because Mm -hmm. the Satan is actually the evil spawn that he is. Mm -hmm. That's just not in here. The Satan is a member of the Divine Council. He's charged to make good use of his skepticism. He's a subordinate figure, and potentially he's defending God's honor by exposing those who pose a threat to him. That actually comes from Newsom. That Those are her words. Mm-hmm. So remember, like she still sees him as an adversarial character in the Divine Council, but he is uh, compelled and motivated by this defense of God's honor. So... The adversary in the story is not God's adversary. Right. He's simply and solely Job's adversary right. for the sake of defending God's honor. Right. Woo, that's wild. That is wild. We do not get that in churches. Yet, no. it's in every stupid commentary there is. This is not privileged information. That's frustrating to me as a person. You know what I mean? Like, so when people say things that are commonly held mm-hmm. within any decent seminary, any decent div school, any well, decent that's commentary. The thing is how many pastors have actually gone to seminary. That is problematic. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's so frustrating that or- this, it, it, but then it makes. And I don't mean this to like play like, oh, I'm so sad. I'm I'm the martyr here. But it makes people who say stuff out loud that are in the books, it turns us into crazy people. Right. But really, they're the crazy they're the people. they're the crazy people. Okay. So uh, in the story, the Lord says to the Satan. I'm going to put the before. Uh, Satan in the English Bible, I would actually, I, I hear, I am not a, uh, I used to go to a church where it was like, get out your pens and underline the word righteous or circle the word 
what you know what I mean? Like they'd have pastors that would say uh, that would give them prompts to like fill notes into their Bible. Mm-hmm. And I'm not that person. No, but you would be good to jot down the before every time you see Satan in Job mm-hmm. to remember. Oh, it's not red tights, pitchfork, horn on his head, horns plural. The, the devil. It's it's a part of God's entourage. But God says to the Satan, where have you come from? And the Satan says, I've come from going to and fro on the earth and walking up and down it. Basically, I've been doing my job. This is what I've this is what I do here for you. Like as the head of this committee, I go around and I make sure people are legitimate in their commitments to you. Mm-hmm. You know that. You know what I mean? So it's yeah. it's a, it's sort of a weird setup, and it's best to see it as it's a narrative setup. This is not God saying, "What are you doing here? Where'd you come from, devil? Mm-hmm. Get out of here!" That's mm-hmm. that's how we read it, right? But this is the author trying to make up a story, and using this device to get the conversation rolling between God and the Satan, mm-hmm. and that happens by saying, "Where have you come from?" Maybe even think of it like this. Where did you go? Oh, you think God's at the head of the table. Where have you come from? God, I just... Stop. <laughs> Immediately. <laughs> that song is a travesty. Um, and saying, okay, uh, this meeting of the Divine Council is now called to order. We're going to start our check-ins with the Satan. Satan, uh, where have you come from? Like, what have you been doing? Mm-hmm. Report back to uh, me. okay. And the, and the Satan's like, well, I've been all over the place, doing all kinds of stuff. And then the conversation keeps rolling. Um, have you seen Job? Now, before I get there, there's uh, one commentator who says, uh, and this is Norman Hobble. He says, the this, this Satan, it seems, is more than an aimless angel rambling the earth. He has a specific role as Yahweh's suspicious one as Yahweh's spy. Mm. As like he's part of a covert operation that will report information. He's like the eyes in the sky. He's big brother. Oh. Yeah, it gets Sneaky. weird. Yeah, he's checking your your browser history and he's <laughs> <laughs> and he's like hiding in the bushes outside your house to make sure that you're treating your dog right. Mm. You know. Wow. Yeah getting real get it's like trying to figure stuff out okay so and then because the narrative is going in this direction the author is is you know sort of coming up with this frame to get the story going and god says to the satan ah so you've been around checking things out by chance have you seen job nobody like him this guy is blameless and upright, and he fears me, and he turns away from evil. Now, this is where things get messy. Because I think when we hear that, like, just crawl up into God's head for a second. Yeah, okay, that's easy. Yeah. <laughs> and how do you read that? Have you seen Job? Like, how would you, how would you initially hear that? I, well, it depends on if you think that God in this story knows everything. Pretend you do, because I think most people do. 
pretend that I think God knows everything? Yes. Okay, well, I guess in that case, you would just be asking them if they know how great Job is. Almost like bragging. Yeah. I know. I know Job's great. Have you noticed that too? Yeah. He's so great. Yeah. He's writing on the whiteboard. They're like Hall of Fame. Yeah. People. Yep. And Job is on the list. Job. And he maybe has a laser pointer. He said, call your attention to this Mm -hmm. person. Our star of the week is Job. Now, pretend that you don't think that God knows everything. But how does that shift the... Okay, well, then it sounds like he's actually asking the opinion of his... Yeah, think about think about board this. members listen to this the bible doesn't give you tone right right we infer Just like that. texting oh gosh and we misread text all the time that's Facts. actually a beautiful example yeah so often like i'll just send a text and in my mind i hear it as like oh this is a little bubbly and this is nice <laughs> and the person reading it because i use i use proper punctuation so i'll put a period after things and apparently in text speak that's like not always like a punch not always well but... i i want i one word period Oh, yeah. Yes, well, yeah. period. <laughs> and then it's like, oh, it's like all caps. I use all caps sometimes too. Yeah. Okay, but hear this. Have you considered my servant Job? There's nobody like him. He's blameless and upright. He fears God and he turns away from evil. Have, have you seen that? Like that little inflection. Like It's a real question. Like here's what I think, but I... I want to see if you've seen different. Yes. Okay. And so, and so those are the two different takes. Some people think um, that, you know, this is Newsom. Job's perfect character would seem to leave no crack for the accuser's doubt to penetrate, right? So what God has seen is, these are things that I know. These are things that I've observed. These are things that I believe are true, and I'm right. And there's no room for somebody who's making sure that my honor is upheld to see anything other than Job being great. God is, in this sense, the proud dad at the water cooler bragging on his child for being good at something. Right. You could take that negatively, though, because God is talking to his spy, Mm -hmm. his skeptical one, and maybe even turn that into a question. Like, "Have have you seen this? Have you seen the Joe being this good? Mm-hmm. I think that's what I'm seeing, but I'm not with him all the time. Mm-hmm. And you've been in the bushes. <laughs> Can you tell me about how he treats the dog? Like, is is he good? What have you seen on the CCTV? Yeah. Have you seen what's on his browser history? Yeah. How did his taxes I'm watching look a, this year? I'm watching a show right now. Uh, it's another Apple Plus show, and it it's using CCTV a lot. It's called um, Suspicion. It's good. It's a, it's like this British sort of thing where these this guy gets kidnapped and five people get arrested and they're connected to it somehow, but you don't know and they don't really seem like they're actually connected to it. And it's mm-hmm. like a lot of a lot of stuff. And just the fact that it's British makes it like better. It just elevates it. Yeah. And it's like, oh man, this is a real mystery. Mm-hmm. This is like Sherlock Holmes. Because there are accents. Yes, because accents non American accent. Correct. Now so God talking to the skeptical one, little raise in the voice, like, have you, you know, have you seen this? 
this is uh, Norman Hobble, who's making a different point than Carol Newsom. He says, the fact that God himself raises the subject of Job's incomparable goodness suggests that the Satan may be verbalizing Yahweh's own latent misapprehensions. Meaning, God says, out of nowhere, mm-hmm. tell me about Job. Yeah. Because you're out there. Can you confirm all these things? Because I'm unsure. And I've got some I've got some some issues, some Mm -hmm. insecurities. I've got some questions. Can you tell me that? And so when when the Satan uh, returns and is like, "Uh, you know, I I think he's just doing this good stuff because you keep blessing him. Mm -hmm. Then maybe, according to Hobble, that's part of what God thinks too. And the Satan is confirming that. Right. You know, that's my dog, Porter, uh, if you heard the hacking in the background. Yep. Um, so just a, a, God is attempting to get this information out to confirm something that God doesn't, in fact, know. Mm-hmm. Are you saying that that's the quote-unquote correct I'm narrative saying, I, in the story. I don't know. I, I, I'm saying you've got these two different ways of, of saying it. God is either like, he, here's what I believe, mm-hmm. or you've got God bringing Job up to sort of get the Satan to confirm his best thoughts. When you have the third way, which is where you're assuming that God knows everything that's happening. I, I think I would probably put that up with the first one. So the first one is less in doubt. The first one is, hey, have you seen Job? He's awesome, period. There's no question in my mind, period. Mm-hmm. You're out there looking for all these people that hate me or that are being disingenuous. Look at him. He's good. That's the that's the case in point. But isn't he, is he not, he's not looking for confirmation in that one. God? Or is he? Correct. I don't think, in that way of reading it, God would not be looking for confirmation. God okay. would be using Job as a thing to um, to argue against his spy always being skeptical. Hmm. You know, it's like, hey, mm-hmm. you're always looking for people to be terrible. And you find that a lot, mm-hmm. Satan. But this guy, you're not going to find that with him. Gotcha. Versus, is this really true? Yeah. Is this because you're you you see more than I do. Like this is your job to go out and do all this. And it, that really puts God in like we think, well what do you mean God doesn't see everything? Of course God sees. Okay, not in the story. What right. do you mean God doesn't know? Not in the story. Right. Right? And that's why that that Abraham and Isaac text is so important because it's a, yeah. it's a good practical example of God saying, "Now I you've had the knife in the air, you're getting ready to jab it into your son. Now I know." Mm-hmm. I didn't know before, but now I know that you would do whatever I ask you to do. Mm-hmm. Like God learns something in that story. And here maybe the image of God is, I don't know. Satan, you tell me what you're thinking. So God is like baiting the accuser to confirm what God thinks God knows. The example I used the other day was, you know, you're in middle school and you got a crush on somebody and you think that they like you, but you talk to his or her best friend to to make sure that they can confirm what you think. Like, I'm going to ask this person to the dance. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's a good idea? Mm-hmm. It seems like she's into it or he's into it. So, yeah. I, 
And if they say like, oh yeah, oh yeah, that'll be good. That'll be real good. And you're like, okay. So like you want the Satan, the friend, mm -hmm. to confirm all of your, your best thoughts. It's a different way of reading the book. It is. The Satan in the story, of course, goes on to say, uh, I'm skeptical. You knew that. You knew that, God. Mm -hmm. That's what you hired me for. Mm -hmm. I'm supposed to be skeptical. I'm your spy. I'm trying to protect your honor. And I think that Job's only good because you give him all of the stuff. Does Job fear God for nothing, he asks. And the answer in his mind is, no. Right. Of course not. He fears you because you keep giving him stuff. You've put a fence around him and his house and all that he has. You've blessed the work of his hands. He's filthy rich. He's got a lot of animals. His kids are out there partying all the time. Like they've got the kegs they're flowing. He's offering sacrifices because he's a helicopter parent. And he's, in, he's insecure. And he just wants to make sure everything is going to be okay by going through the routines. And you seem to be blessing him. So he's just doing that. But if you took all that from him, he'd be just like everybody else who doesn't like you the satan's yeah. a real debbie downer yeah like nobody likes you but it's because he has to be yeah well that's his job yeah he's filling out this this job description to root out the disingenuous commitments to yahweh you want to hear a preaching point sure that would that would appear in in any church i think According to the Satan, Job's commitment is not disinterested, to use DJA Klein's word. Is ours? Say that again. Oh, man. I, I was getting ready to call up the band. Oh, I'm sorry. I was, I was getting ready to oh, oh, dim oh. the lights and I'm, as yeah. I call the band up here to play, to play some music soft music behind me. me. Yep. Is your commitment to the Lord disinterested? Oh. Do you only follow God for the benefits? Mm. Are you only saying yes to Jesus so that you don't have to go to hell? Do you just want your life to be a blessing and to be to be blessed? Yeah. Is that why you love God? Like that, that sort of preachy point. Yeah. Because they're trying to figure out if Job's legit, and the measure of that would be he would follow God to hell and back mm -hmm. if that's where God led, and he's about to. Mm-hmm. Versus, oh no, he just, he just is good because his life is easy. And if his life wasn't easy, he'd be just like everybody else. And I think that's a preachy point. Yeah. I'm thinking about like, I don't know, the God in the story is not really the God that you would want to follow. Tell me more about that, because we've we've described God in a few different ways. So in your mind, the one that you don't like is the one who's inflicting all of this stuff onto Job. Yeah, just to see if he's loyal. Yeah, and in that case, it's almost like I don't know if I could blame Job if he turned against God in the story. Yes, I think this is where we are taking a um, a very modern approach and putting it back on the text. Yeah, but aren't we supposed to have it mean something for us now or no? 
Yes, absolutely. But the only way I, I would say, and this is this is my struggle because I don't want people to have to go to seminary to understand the Bible. Mm-hmm. I want you to be able to open it and to read it and to get something from it. But I also know that a lot of times the context is so embedded in an ancient world and not available to us. Even think about this. Like in your English Bibles, it says Satan, capital S. The fact that this is not Satan is buried. Mm -hmm. And I would not expect anybody to think anything other than this is the same person that was tempting Jesus in the wilderness. Right. But it is not. Now, they share characteristics, mm-hmm. but that uh, d- depiction of proper name Satan, that's later in the game. Mm-hmm. Like, that's an intertestamental sort of development when people started personifying the evil one as Satan. All right, so we have these... I, we have these jacked up ideas about oh well you see before adam and eve were in the garden one of god's angels got really proud and mm-hmm. and god had to throw him out with a third of the angel you show me that text show I, me that story i can't right because it's not in there right. it's like it's it's sort of hinting around in some of the prophetic texts. There's there's something in Isaiah and there's something in Ezekiel, but it's also it, that's those texts about um, where we get that idea of like a third of the stars fell. Mm-hmm. It's talking about the the Prince of Tyre, right? And it's using metaphorical and, and imagery laden language to talk about this thing. And we've sort of taken that to explain the presence of evil incarnate. Mm-hmm. in Satan. Right. And then later, like later in the, like the medieval period, that's when we get the red tights and the pitchfork and the horns. And we're more informed by that sort of, in the same way, like Dante informs our views of hell more so than the Bible does. We're informed by those post biblical uh, developments mm-hmm. to understanding who Satan is, and it's not its not really in the text in the way that we think it is, but we've got all this stuff that we, that we just sort of throw back indiscriminately upon the text. <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't know, I don't know how to fix that. It just makes me feel like I don't know what to, what to do. Yeah, it makes you just then. want to put your Bible on the shelf. Mm-hmm. Say, that was fun. Well, yep. guess I can't read this anymore. Yep. Because it doesn't make any sense. Nope. We don't do that with other stuff, though. What other Shakespeare, stuff? Shakespeare. Um, I haven't read Shakespeare since high school. Okay, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> He's on the shelf. <laughs> that's, fair. that's very fair. Yeah, there's not a great example of that. I mean, Well, but it, that's because we're not expecting other books to... Very fair. Shakespeare is not the guide, the road book. Lives. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, where should I go to college? You should check out Julius Caesar. Yes. Uh, if you just read yes. and meditated upon Julius Caesar, then you would know if you should go to Villanova. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, no, I hear that. I just, I, I feel like I'm communicating the Debbie Downer stuff to people by exposing like the real historical, cultural stuff. And then making reading the Bible either not enjoyable for them or nearly impossible for them. 
an easy way into this is to get a halfway decent study Bible. It's got some notes in the bottom. And to know that when you pick it up and you read it, you're reading something that is 3,000 years old. Why do you have the assumption even that you could just like, oh, it's five o'clock. Guess I'm going to hang out with Ezekiel and that'll inform my day. Why would we think that? I don't know. Okay. Culture. Yeah. There's a culture slash bad teaching slash uh, uninformed people in authoritarian roles demanding that people uh, have mental assent to stuff that isn't actually helpful. Yeah. Now, here's what I'm saying. Your level of uncomfortability is a modern feeling that is totally legitimate. Yeah. But you're throwing it back onto a text that is set in a context of honor and shame, which is very different from our American context. Like honor and shame cultures still exist, but we don't really participate in that. Yeah. Like honor is important. We don't want to feel shame, but we're not like motivated by that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So again, Newsom would say that this is informing how we understand this story. So so the Satan, when he is questioning Job and saying, I don't think he's as legit as you do. Newsom says that this is challenging God's honor because it suggests that not even the best of the best are that they actually love God. You know, so this picture of like, why would God say, yes, let's let's test him? In our mind, that makes no sense. Mm-hmm. But for an ancient reader, if God heard the Satan say, I don't think he really loves you. And for God to say, They would be horrified at that shoulder shrug because God's honor now is at stake. Mm -hmm. So God has to play this out and deduce if Job is actually legit or not. Yeah. I would even say even if God knows because God's been challenged now by Mm -hmm. a lesser divine being. So even if God knows that Job is legit, God has to, in in according to Newsom, play this out because of honor and shame, which is informing that cultural context and saying, all right, you go ahead and test him and I'll show you that you're wrong, Satan, and that this guy's love is legit and that people do actually commit themselves to me in a disinterested fashion. Mm-hmm. In In a culture that cares about honor in that way, you have to play this out. And for us, we just see this as like, what's happening? Yeah. Why would God do this? But I think that's because we're bringing our weird 21st century American ideals on an ancient text. I mean, it makes it better that it's not historical. Yeah, it's a story. Right. Which, again, that's that's another thing that we bring to the reading of this of this text when we open up our Bibles. Like, oh, it's historical. Oh, it's literal. Oh, it's, you know, any of those... Uh, oh, it's without error. Oh, it's giving us a true depiction of who God is. 
Right. Oh, it's not giving us a culturally embedded snapshot of who the people think God is at that time that we don't now agree with. You know what I mean? Yeah. So there, there's a lot there. How do we wrap this up? We don't. And this is like the end of the end of this sermon. I was like, all right, well, <laughs> see you next. On the time. night that Jesus was betrayed, yeah. like we just launch right into communion. It's yeah. like I don't know how to make this. I don't know how to tie this up into a nice application for for life. You know, to inspire you to a really great Monday. Yeah. Thanks for showing up. I uh, know your life's hard. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, yeah, I don't. There, you can't get it from this particular passage. I, I do think that maybe we could circle back to some of the preachy stuff and say, what about you? Mm-hmm. Where's your level of commitment at? Do you love in a disinterested way? I would say that for most people, no, absolutely not. Right. They love, they follow because they don't want to go to hell. They're more motivated by a fear of their eternal destiny maybe being with the guy with red tights and a pitchfork that they will do whatever they need to do and go through those motions to make sure that they end up in the good place. You think that's most people? Do you not? I don't know. I I think... It seems... Yes. Say that word. It does seem... The way it's disappointing. The way that the gospel is presented, yeah, frames it in heaven and hell. Yeah, it doesn't frame it in following Jesus is a really good way to live. It's a humanitarian way to live. It's a way of justice. It's a way of hope. Like you can be a beacon of light. You can help people. Like and that on its own is good. Mm-hmm. You know, like you loving your neighbor and expecting nothing. That's good. That's a good way to live, and Jesus has modeled that and is asking us to participate with him in that. That's not how the gospel is preached. The gospel is preached like you're—I'm going to paraphrase—you're terrible, mm-hmm. and God was so mad at you mm-hmm. for all of your grossness, he murdered his son. So people love Jesus because— They're afraid of the, they're afraid of angry God in the sky for one. And two, they don't want to burn in hell for all of eternity. Hmm. Have I just sufficiently reduced that to like the word, like this is me thinking the very worst of people. I don't mean that, that people are not legitimate in their, I think when people hear that gospel, some of them say, oh man, like I, I was really going to get the business, and Jesus took that for me, and I'm thankful for that. I, that is a very real— So like, their love comes from being saved. Yes. Yeah, I think I, it can. Or, alternatively, their commitment comes from a fear of weeping and gnashing of teeth, which, side note, is a bad reading of hell, biblically. Like so much of this to me, it just, it depends on like our version of the good news that we share to people and that's the way in which they model their lives. For me, the gospel that I would like to preach is Jesus has carried all of, all of the, the brokenness that you have, all of the pain and the hurt. He has absorbed 
all of that because he loves you and because he wants to be in relationship with you. Yeah. So like you wrong me and I have two options. I can be ticked at you Mm -hmm. and I can be silent and I can internally say, screw you, Tessa, Mm -hmm. you're terrible. Or I can absorb that wrongdoing and say, ah, that one hurt, but no way am I going to mess with this because I love Tessa. Mm -hmm. And I like that image of what Jesus is doing. Like he's taking all of that on because he so desperately wants us to to hang out with him. Yeah. It's not a fear-based thing. And when we get that, it's like, oh, he's actually worth following and living in the way that he's describing is good enough on its own that it's not about heaven and hell. It's it's like there's something better than loving Jesus because he died for you. Is that I her, just got her scared face, her face was as so I much said like, that. Am I a heretic? <laughs> that was that face. Um I was tracking with you for sure. Yeah. Like there's Yeah uh, like it's that, but then also there's more than that. Way way more. Yeah. Because again, we've the gospels, right? Yes, the death of Jesus is a massive part. But mm-hmm. what else is a massive part? His life. The way that he actually lived. Right, the things that he did. We don't talk about that. Yeah. We talk about him dead. Mm-hmm. We don't even really talk about him raised from the dead. He's, it's just him dead. Mm-hmm. You should be dead. He's dead. You're not <laughs> dead, dead. Dead, 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 dead. Yeah. But when you see like the way that he lived... And how compelling that is. I wish that people, myself included, I wish I say this, but I wish I could live this out. If I die and I'm wrong about eternity mm-hmm. and I'm wrong about all of it mm-hmm. and I just get buried into the ground where my body decomposes and my brain shuts off and there's no more Josh ever in the history of of the universe. Mm-hmm. I believe a life that is lived in commitment to Jesus and following his principles was good. And I would still choose that. Yeah. People tend to think though, it's like, oh, when you take heaven and hell off the table, it's like, oh, well, I'm going to do all of this. Bring the mushrooms to me. Bring all of the drugs to me. <laughs> I will just drink until my heart's content. I will blow all of my... Like, you just go into, like, you think you're going to move to Las Vegas and just live in debauchery because now, finally, the shackles are off. Right. And Jesus isn't holding you back from doing cocaine. As if that's what all of us are dying to do. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I have zero interest. Exactly. In that's what I'm saying. But it's just, like, the way that it's been pitched is, like... Following Jesus makes you say no to all the stuff. And when that goes away, then you just go into this crazy town. But I'm trying to say, like, even if there is no afterlife, there is no heaven, even if Jesus is not the son of God, and these are are hypotheticals, people, Mm -hmm. then I'm committed to believing that following the way of Jesus, Mm -hmm. which is what it's all about anyway, Mm -hmm. is better than an alternative yeah not not any alternate but for me like following jesus is the best way that i can frame my life right here and right now Mm -hmm. 
to be loving and that have that just trump all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, but then is my love and commitment disinterested? I hope so. But. What do you mean by that? Well, like going back to Job. Yeah. So like the Satan, you know, let's play it out. God says, have you seen Josh? Oh, you mean like, is it, you're doing these things not because you're out for yourself. Correct. Not to get something from it, but because this is, it, there's a disinterest in right. what I receive because of it. Yeah. To me, that's that's an honorable and a beautiful way to live because you're deciding this is what life should be about. Loving those on the margins, including people that have been excluded, loving radically and sacrificing all for the sake of the other. Let's be clear. I do not do that. But I wish that I did. You know what I mean? You don't think that you do that? No, gosh, no. No, no. You're also notorious for not giving yourself enough credit. Correct. I just know that like that, that selfishness, There's. it's easy for me to pick, say, my family over the other. Sure. It's easy for me to pick myself over the other. Mm-hmm. Living like Jesus is really hard. Yeah. But I think that that on its own, by itself, with no hint of reward, is good enough. If we follow Jesus for heaven, I think something's up. Mm-hmm. And I think the Satan might want to snuff out some of that very interested, uh, you know, selfish might not be the right word, but like the the rationale for why we're doing the things that we do. Wow. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Big thoughts with, with Josh and Tessa. Yeah. So sit with that. We'll be back. Yeah, that was just like, this we'll is, the, I don't know. This is, for some reason, this book is like. It's tough. Every week it's just like. It gets uh, worse and worse. Oh, good. Great. I do think um, ne- next week we'll talk about Job's actual response to the the suffering and the tragedy that he that he goes through. And again, I just want to put this on your radar. The book is not prescribing a certain a, a certain application for you. You know what I mean? When when stuff hits the fan, you don't necessarily need to be a job who stands up and quote does not sin right in his reaction or lack thereof. Right? Cuz we've got two jobs in this book. One in the narrative frame who's like, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return there, which we'll talk about. Uh, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. The name of the Lord will be praised. That Job, who's very esoteric and super spiritual, and you sort of want to punch him in the face. Yeah. And then the other Job, who's like, I wish I was dead. Mm-hmm. I can't take it. I can't I can't handle this. And you've got very these very different pictures, and one is not prescriptive over the other they both exist and they both are legitimate and the way that we live out suffering i think can take on different forms at different times and i want you to feel that freedom okay so yeah. we'll, be, we'll be back at it next week until then tessa mm-hmm. peace, peace love and equality <laughs> bye